time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. Now, here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, October 5th, 2020. We're excited about today's podcast. It's going to be the roundtable of the regulars, and we're looking forward to a great discussion. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. We just appreciate your feedback. So much feedback comes in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. Two things are a part of that we're really pleased with this industry syndicate check out all of the podcasts on industry syndicate.com as well as mortgagemedia.com thrilled to be a part of it also thrilled to have our sponsors here the mortgage bankers association of america be sure to check out the mortgage action alliance app that you can download on your smartphone it's an app that allows you to have your voice heard in washington dc on the hill on important initiatives and I tell you it is something i was on last night flipping through the various initiatives thinking about what we going to be talking about today. And I know Alice will cover some of that, but it's a great way to have your voice heard. And again, if you're not a part of the MBA, because you should be a part of the MBA and so should your company. But if you're not, you still can participate. That's the best part. Get your company to sign up to be a member of the MBA. We look at all that the MBA is doing for us. It it is really staggering. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Finastra, whose Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution automatically addresses so many issues, compliance and delivery and power satisfaction. even have a great POS in there that I encourage you to check it out. Go out to their website or also to our sponsorship page. You'll see Dan Putney and I talking as well as some other information out there. I encourage you to check it out. Also, we're part of two co-ops, the Lenders One Co-op as well as the Mortgage Collaborative Co-op. And both of these co-ops create competitive advantages for both lenders and vendor members. I've been communicating with members of both from the vendor tech side as well as for the lender members, all really missing our get-togethers. Virtual meetings are honestly just not what an in-person meeting is. Something about that. We can work virtually. We're proving that. In fact, that's probably even working even better in some cases. But conferences that are virtually, well, I don't know. Hoping the MBA conference is wildly successful. Trisha says that they're getting good registration and they've got great sponsorship. So that's very exciting. Also, be sure to check out last week's podcast. I had Michael Jones on, the chairman of the community. Mortgage Lenders of America. Great discussion talking about some of the things that they're working on, the niches and the differences and the similarities between CMLA and MBA. Also, Indicom, a technology firm with mortgage expertise. And tell you, we had Linda Bomar on and it was such a good podcast with her team talking about some of the things that they're working on. Go to check out that podcast, August 31st of this year. Go back and check out the Indicom interview. It's really good. Also, Incelerate. This company does a great job. Josh, a friend, does a great job of helping lenders engage better with borrowers and prospects. I'm referring a lot of business over to them, and it was really good. Also, Ainsworth Advisors. This is a board of advisory service where more and more companies need to have an outside board. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae 
are both looking for this. So who is on your board? You need to get out and get a board of advisors. Check out AinsworthAdvisors.com as well as check out AI Assist. They're using artificial intelligence to reach borrowers. We're talking a little bit about this in the technology segment in the hot topic area. Also in Noviant, some of the best in business intelligence that's out there to help you on your mortgage executions. I'm really impressed with Ted Kramer and what Innovient is building. Also, two others that are really helpful, helping lenders on the recruiting side, specifically of top talent, and that's Mobility, RE, and Modex. Those two are the ones that are helping. Knowledge Cube does a great job in training, and I love what they do. We're using them more. More training is needed. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Analysis segment, when in the hot topic segment, how are you training your people? Tool and learning management system is what that is. Knowledge group. But anyway, mobility and uh, Modex both helping you find the top producers and actually being able to verify that they're top producers. Check out also Velma, Vendorser, Vidyard. And then again, a big thank you to Alice, Andy, Allen, and Matt for their contributions each and every week. Let's get over to Rob Van Raphorst with this week's MBA Mortgage Minute. Rob? <laughs> Hi, I'm Rob Van Rapworth. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, a conference of state bank supervisors released a proposal seeking comments on prudential standards for state regulators to apply to IMB servicers. The new standards could lead to a uniform framework rather than a patchwork of different state requirements. MBA will work closely with its members to develop thorough comments on this proposal, which are due by December 31st, 2020. Also recently, the Financial Stability Oversight Council, also known as FSOC, issued a statement. The statement described potential financial stability risks that could result from stress at the GSEs and recommended that capital requirements be set in a manner largely consistent with the proposed requirements recently issued by the FHFA. Going forward, MBA will work with FHFA and other FSOC member agencies as further reforms of the GSEs are considered and implemented. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Good job, Rob. Appreciate our partnership with the MBA. Again, sign up for Mortgage Action Alliance. Download the app. It's the easiest way to do it. All right, let's get over to Les Parker and this week's uh, macro view of the markets. He's got two of my favorite songs. A couple of my favorite songs. Got a lot of them. But here's a couple of oldies and but goodies that he's mixed into the message. <laughs> what you got for us, Les? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Oh, Goodbye, gold. Goodbye, copper tooth. Hello, bearishness. Markets are going up to cry. Tears are falling over the negative returns on mortgage pools that prepay quickly. A couple weeks ago, gold broke down, copper followed, and then stocks faltered. And all the while, mortgages moved little. With supply growing and demand waning, don't be surprised if prices sink. Low yields followed by high-speed payoffs cause investors to run away from losing money. These views are my own. Go to tmspotlight.com and subscribe to my daily newsletter. Goodbye to romance that looks to end. <laughs> the Everly Brothers. Oh, my gosh. Brings me back to my high school days. I know that dates me. I am old. That's all right. No problem. <laughs> I identify well with that music. Love the Everly Brothers. Uh, Les Parker, you did a great job on that. He just shot me over a note. Hey, by the way, he just reminded me on a text message. When you're signing up for TM Spotlight, 
Use the word power to get the TM Spotlight, the paid version, for free. Check it out. Thanks, Les. You and Catcherbone do an outstanding job. Appreciate you, Lester, very much. Let's get over to Matt Graham for the what's happening now. And talking about what's happening now is rates have been repricing. At least there's a good chance for it, Matt. Good to have you with us. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Dave. Uh, yeah, we already have quite a few negative reprices reported for the day, which is uh, very early in the day to see that happening. And we'll get to that in just a second when we talk about this week's market movement. But let's get caught up real quick with last week on the data front. A couple of nice anecdotes for the housing market. Case Shiller home prices up by 0.6% versus forecasts of 03 so more than double expectations, but the only caveat there is that's for July, and we know we're making up for some lost time with respect to housing market data bouncing back from its restricted time at the beginning of COVID. Applications declined a little bit, but I would probably chalk that up to something that's not very well tracked right now, which is distortions created by the rush to get applications in ahead of the adverse market fee. And I think that was happening in greater numbers in the previous week's application data because a lot of lenders had their re-implementation dates for that adverse market fee back then. Pending home sales obliterated the forecast and the previous record, rising to an all-time high for that data, which is just staggering. And you look at the thing on a chart and you're like, holy cow, the housing market's on fire. And something we'll talk about in the roundtable, but we have some COVID-related data distortion possibilities there too, but nobody really knows how it's going to pan out. Core PCE, which is the inflation metric the Fed would like to see at 2% or now above 2% for a while, rose 1.6, which was two-tenths of a percent above forecast. Historically, inflation data is bad for rates and generally speaking, all other things being equal, higher inflation equals higher rates. But we didn't see a huge reaction to that because markets know they have a long road ahead when it comes to getting to the Fed's inflation target. Then, of course, jobs report on Friday came in a little bit short in terms of headline job creation, but the unemployment rate dropped to 7.9. But another counterpoint to that counterpoint is that the labor force participation rate also dropped, meaning fewer people in the workforce, and that essentially makes the unemployment rate change a wash, basically where it was last month. So not a hugely strong jobs report. As far as uh, news items that were of consideration to the bond market, we had several instances of stimulus headlines, the fiscal stimulus plan that seems to be uh, hopefully coming soon. And the presidential debate on Tuesday night, it was maybe going to be a market mover, but ended up not necessarily causing an immediate reaction. And uh, Trump getting COVID or the diagnosis reported on Friday, which sounded like it should have been a big market mover and may or may not be, depending on how we view today's trading action. So I think markets were a little bit nervous before the debate. Stocks had sold off a little bit and then recovered the day after the debate. And that also happened to be the day where we saw month end trading and a lot of money piling into the stock market right at 9.30 a.m., which is usually a, a signal that you had some buyers waiting to make a trade for the NYSE open. And uh, bonds got hurt at the same time, breaking out of a technical consolidation pattern they had been in leading up to that. Then on Thursday, we had a a strong show of support in bonds. And we 
bounced at a ceiling in terms of 10-year yield that made yep. it seem okay. Maybe we're going to be okay. <laughs> maybe we're going to make it out of this and stay in the range. And then into the weekend. And here we are this morning with bonds right at 8.20 a.m. beginning to sell steadily. Maybe start wondering when we're going to be up over the 1% point. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's going to dovetail into exactly what I'm about to talk about. We have small scale ways to look at these patterns and trends and then larger scale, bigger picture things. So it's good to remember that those ranges may be vastly different because we have this technical breakout in the small scale in the short term, which was relying on a ceiling of 0.72 to 0.73 in 10-year yields. Right now, we're up over 0.75, and so that's a breakout, technically speaking. And the consolidation pattern that we broke out of at the end of last week was even narrower. We were down to a daily range of about three bips in 10-year yields, which is excruciatingly narrow. So when we break out of these narrow ranges, there's no way that a a 10-bip range, which, by the way, I should qualify, 0.62 to 0.72 has been the 10-bip range that we've been in for most of the last two months. Breaking out of that was inevitable. That's never going to last forever or even necessarily for a very long time. And I think two months is a very long time for it to have lasted in the first place. So when you break out of that, just as breaking out of that narrower range I just talked about last week, the three-bit range implied a move up to the ceiling of that 10-bit range. The breakout of the 10-bit range says, okay, now we need to assess what's going to happen inside the bigger range, the one that can last a longer time. And there are a couple of different ways to approach that ceiling, but you mentioned winter yield's going to go back up and over 1%. I, I would put the ceiling of that broader post-COVID sideways range in terms of 10-year yields at 0.95% probably because that's roughly where we had topped out previously. And that seems to be what a lot of trade desks view the broader range as. And what that means is that it's not a violation of the post-COVID low sideways range for yields to get all the way up to 0.95. Would it ruin a loan officer's day to bounce around in that sideways range in such a way that we move up to that ceiling? Absolutely. That's a very big change for somebody that's out there quoting rates. So it's just a really good thing to keep in mind that volatility in the medium term can still ruin your day, even if we are still sideways in the bigger picture. Real quick on the topic of stuff coming up this week, it's a very light trading week. ISM came out this morning, it was stronger than expected, likely contributed to the weakness that was already in progress. And we have treasury auctions starting tomorrow, running through Thursday. It is the larger sized uh, week for treasury auctions, meaning threes, tens, and thirties. And then we have jobless claims with us as always on Thursday, wholesale inventories on Friday, which is not really even a report worth mentioning. So it's basically a data-free week from here on out with the exception of maybe jobless claims if it happens to say something very interesting. Very interesting. So much going on. And I know with what's going on today, you're not going to be able to be a part of the hot topic segment. So I want to get into looking and discussing some of the topics you brought up that you would like to discuss at the roundtable that you think our listeners should know about. First of all, for those that don't know, we're talking to, of course, Matt Graham, who's the founder and CEO of mbslive.net. Check it out. 
you must subscribe to this. It's such a good service. So on this website of yours, have all this dialogue going on and chatter going on between the origination community. And what is your read on that? That was one of the questions that I had put out to our listeners and they go, what is he seeing on there? Is it going to be a sky's falling? It's all life's over or what's your thought? Well, there's definitely something to be said for making hay while the sun is shining. And there's a lot of uncertainty with respect to where markets are going to go. But I think that people really understand that when we have a big refi boom, that it's going to be followed by a leaner time in terms of refinance transactions. And then I think purchases will be purchases, uh, much more stable there for people that focus on that business. But as far as when that's going to happen or how abrupt it's going to be, the biggest feather in the cap for the origination community right now is the margin situation in the secondary because lenders have had to slow down inbound business by raising rates. And we refer to this sometimes as pipeline control. But we don't have the operational capacity to do as many loans as people would like to do if rates were where rates should be based on MBS. And it's an unprecedented blowout in terms of spreads. You've never seen anything like it. And that means that as rates rise or as bond markets deteriorate, uh, to some extent, the mortgage market won't have to deteriorate as quickly as uh, treasuries. There is something to be said for these esoteric concepts like uh, extension risk and lenders not wanting to get left on the island of uh, holding a low yielding bond in a market where there's no demand for it. So it doesn't mean mortgage rates are invincible, but as long as the sell-off is slow and steady, and once you reach a certain plateau where lenders aren't too concerned about whatever the underlying MBS coupon is, then you'll see these pockets where mortgage rates are able to outperform whatever's going on in the broader bond market. I'd love to get your thoughts on the Fed, biggest buyer of MBSs in the world. And you said in your notes, there's certainly plenty to talk about it as it relates to the Fed. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So the Fed, best way to think about their rate setting policy is that they are anchoring the short end of the yield curve, meaning they're mm-hmm. saying your overnight rate is going to be at zero effectively for a long time. And from there, we see more and more variation as you move out the curve. What I mean by that is things that are very close to an overnight rate, and by very close, that's a loose term, but say two-year treasury yields are very low. The farther out the curve you go, 7, 10, 30 years, they can all move then your twos and threes and anything shorter than that. So that short end of the yield curve is well anchored by the Fed's rate setting policy. The longer end is a bit of a mystery, and it depends a lot on what they do with bond buying, what the market can tolerate, what the federal government does with the origination of new treasuries, if you will. So new treasury supply to pay for things like revenue shortfalls related to COVID or stimulus related to COVID. And it's a big balancing act. And it's happening at the same time that the Fed is in an experimental phase. Well, they always are. This is new stuff where we are really waking up to this new reality of inflation being something we have to try to get to move up as opposed to something that we really want to get to move down. Because Dave, remember, and I know you can barely remember because you were so young in the 80s, that the 80s were a very scary time for inflation. And it was like the big boogeyman of 
the rate market. And Volcker did his thing and kind of was the hero of fighting off inflation. And then it just it moved lower and lower and rates moved lower and lower. But that was the defining characteristic of the bond market. And inflation had this, I don't know, it caused mortal fear for those who like low rates. And when inflation stayed under 2% so nicely for the past two decades, I think uh, for the first decade of that, it was a little bit of a, okay, we really don't want inflation to go back to 2%. So we got to be careful with that. But then the financial crisis came along and it's like, oh gosh, Bernanke's education, his his worldview was focused heavily on learning from Japan, and he really wanted to avoid that. And so yeah. he shifted toward, hey, we got to get this stuff back up. And it seemed like we might have been on our way to doing that to some extent. And then coronavirus came along and said, okay, now you have no chance at getting inflation up to 2% unless you really do something drastic. And that's exactly why we've seen the Fed come out with guns blazing recently. And right. everything depends on how successful that's going to be. And we just don't know how successful it's going to be because when inflation was falling in the 90s, some say it had much less to do with monetary policy and much more to do with the proliferation of technology and e-commerce becoming a more globally interconnected economy. But then you interject uh, the President Trump's opinions on the thoughts on the Fed, and we have ourselves a, a whole lot more unknowns. Where is this heading? And so it's going to be fascinating. And I think they're going to be finding out how it works right about when we are. And the big risk as if they are as successful as they could be, and we actually yeah. do see it leading to inflation, then rates are going to have to adjust higher to keep inflation from going too, too high. I've been talking about this because there's so much here. So we need to get you scheduled sooner than later to come on and talk about that. So uh, we may drag a couple of your friends that I know some of the ones that we share a common respect for. I'd love to have that discussion because I think planning is beginning for where our rates going post the refinance boom and what's going to drive that, when is that going to happen? So I think it's going to be a great hot topic. And again, we want to bring relevant information and you bring it all the time. So I want to say, Matt, Thank you so much. We kind of, folks, put Matt in the front. He was going to join us on the hot topic, but he's a pretty busy guy today with what's going on in the market. So, Matt, thanks so much for taking time to join us. And uh, thank you, you, you bet your butt. And if you go check out mbslive.net and you put in LOL, you'll get an extended free trial. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. Sending that out to our listeners. Appreciate it so much. All right, let's get over to Alice Alvey. Good to have you here. Alice is the CMB Vice President of Education and Training at the Marvelous Union Home Mortgage, and she's got this week's legislative update. What you got, Alice? Hi, Dave. Hello, listeners. Today, I just have a quick thing to just get you an update on what Rob Van Rapphorst mentioned earlier, and that was this issue of the Conference of State Bank Supervisors putting out a proposal to get comments due by December 31st regarding this proposed regulatory framework for independent mortgage bankers. Now, as Union Home is a very fierce independent mortgage banker. We love our independence. And with that, though, IMBs over the years, especially in volatile times, have become under-regulators, magnifying glass for feeling very different. We aren't banks, right? So does that make an IMB more vulnerable or less vulnerable in certain times of vulnerability? And this proposal is designed to say, if I have state regulators coming in and auditing me, then it would be easier in theory to have it be the same process with each state and not that each state has all these differences. So for those of you who aren't familiar with 
who CFBS is. That's a little bit of a high level. The Conference of State Bank Supervisors is like what it sounds. It's the collaborative of all 50 states, and they get together to coordinate the licensing. You might recognize them with your NMLS activity. So within this, as we've been taking a look at it, I think we'll talk about it a little bit as the weeks go on. Our biggest concern as well, one of the concerns as an IMB is if this comes out to be more robust than what the Federal Housing Finance Agency has already proposed, you can see that as IMBs, we'd be more susceptible to need to consolidate. What happens with this large market participants and if they're more regulated, does that mean we need to consolidate? Do we see more consolidation in the industry? How is this going to affect the smaller entities that are now maybe looking at how can I stand up to this type of regulatory scrutiny and will I be able to meet the requirements? So it's very robust. So it'll make it more strict in some states. Obviously, states all along the way have different regulations as far as how strict people should be. You all know that when you get your state licensing. Some states have extra courses you need to take and others don't because they all have different experiences. So we'll watch this closely. I'm going to go out to some of the industry participants and see the thoughts that people have on this and we'll keep talking about it because certainly as an industry, you want to make sure as LOs, you're paying attention to the impact of Fannie and Freddie, which the Federal Housing Finance Agency essentially oversees them. And you want to make sure you're keeping an eye on this. This adverse market fee was a big thing. And that came from Fannie and Freddie. So CSBS and and FIFA putting more regulations on IMBs is going to be something we'll watch very closely. So as of now, it just got kicked off, and we'll see what types of comments are coming in and keep you posted. So that's all for now, Dave, and I'll kick it back to you. And a big shout out to the MBA. I was talking to Trisha Megliazzo, all that the MBA has done to try to keep that adverse fee, mitigate as much of that as possible. It's really good. So appreciate that shout out. Some props to the MBA. Thanks, Alice, so much. Appreciate what you're doing uh, there at Union Home Mortgage. We're looking forward to having you part of the hot topic discussion. Alan is dialed in, but he said, let me roll my comments into the hot topic segment. So let's move on over to Andy Shell, the profit doctor. Andy, how are you doing, sir? I am good. Dr. Andy Shell, the Prophet Doctor, I am here. This week I am teaching a webinar for the MBA. Last time we had 500 people show up. So this week we're going to talk about learn how mortgage lenders get money, use money, spend money, and make a profit. So you can go to the mba.org, go to education, type in accounting webinar, and these five webinars pop up. So How has 2020 treated mortgage lending? So if we look at the country, look at the world, we would say 20 will be known as the year of a global pandemic. And as we look at mortgage lending, we're going to say 2020 is a year of record profit for mortgage lending. So record profit means record paychecks, and record paychecks means record W-2 earnings reported to the IRS. It also means record earnings for every originator reported on the NMLS report that will be reviewed by Department of Labor, Department of Justice. So I think one of the things to start to benchmark to think about is what do we do with this prosperity? And so it just so happens it is time to start your 2020 tax planning. So it's October, it's time to start thinking about donations, contributions, making contributions to IRS-qualified charitable donations. Make sure it's an IRS-qualified donation. Not every charity is 
501c3 or otherwise a deductible expense. There's a lot of options out there. I want to take just 30 seconds to mention one of the ones that I've known about for a long time, and that's called a navigation center. When you hear about a navigation center, well, is that a web browser? What's, what's a navigation center? So a, a navigation center is a homeless support organization. It helps provide food, medicine, mental support, help homeless people find an apartment, and develop skills to get a job. Now, the navigation centers also help the homeless get an ID card because you can't apply for a job without an ID. It's hard to apply for a job without an address. Also, the the navigation centers help homeless learn to overcome the things that led to homelessness, if it's related to drugs, if it's unemployment, which unfortunately many may be facing today. Once you've lost a job and lost a home and become homeless, how are you going to get back into the workforce? So that's part of what homeless navigation centers do is they help homeless get IDs and learn about how to Good. stay off of the lifestyle. Real quick, Good. the last point is these started in San Francisco, and the, the thing that's different about navigation centers is they, they don't foster dependence. They don't just give away stuff. They also enable self-reliance and independence. They teach people how to be successful. The key difference about a navigation center is that it encourages the people that come in to create a why to take the next step. Why should they come back? Why should they apply for the job? Why should they get the ID? All of those things are important. I support a homeless navigation center in Austin, and I encourage, given the unprecedented prosperity the mortgage lending employees are experiencing this year, I'd encourage everyone to consider the Homeless Navigation Center. So there you go. Totally off topic. But what do you do with your profits is part of what the profit offer talks about. Yeah, it's tax savings too. There's a practical side of it. So it's a bottom line issue, what you can do to save money and do good. And so it's a double. This is where one-on-one equals something greater than two. I like that. Synergy. Very good. Very good, Andy. I like that. In fact, when you and I had barbecue on Saturday, which was so enjoyable, you talked about how you serve on the board. So not only are you doing it, you didn't bring it up, but I want to give everyone a shout out. You put your money where your mouth is and your time where it is. And so you're serving on a board. And I think that is, I think if I'm correct, you're the chairman of the board of the local one. So I think that's outstanding. We need to be doing more of that. So we do so much for the housing market. We help people in so many ways and areas of our lives. But with all the money that's being made, what are you doing with your money? Are you doing anything that is helping those that cannot afford a home that are on the journey to home ownership, check it out. Andy, is there a website they can go to to learn more? Yeah, I think it's Google Sunrise Navigation Center mm-hmm. or Homeless Navigation Centers. They're, they're all over the country. Again, Good. started in San Francisco, started in Fremont. So just Google it. The one I work with is Sunrise Navigation Center in Austin. But they're all over the country. Just find one that you want to support and help them help others. I love it. That's a very good point. Folks, that ends the weekly update of our podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. Out of time here to say thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, Indicom, Incelerate, Ainsworth, Mobility RE, all of them, MBA, everything. So good to have you back here next week. We are going to be hopefully having a a surprise guest working on that right now. Got to go. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. Bye. been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.